this morning I want to take us back into the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Pastor Scott has been primarily uh, preaching through this book. I appreciate the opportunity to share here and there. And uh, I want to take you to uh, chapter 10 this morning. Uh, In uh, our Bibles, oftentimes we have a little title at the beginning of a, of a chapter or a passage, and sometimes even in, in between a few verses there will be some subtitles and so on. The title that is at the beginning of chapter 10 is uh, The Spiritual War. I'm going to talk about that this morning for a little while, but uh, I invite you to, to take your Bible, please, or your electronic device, and open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, as you're doing that, I, I just want to encourage you to spend time daily in God's Word. Spending time daily in God's Word is such a tremendously valuable time that you can spend. Uh, My wife and I choose to do that together at the beginning of the day when we have breakfast. And, um, you know, you you might say, well, you pastors, that's your job. That's what what you're doing. Well, yeah, I, I love to prepare for Bible studies and for preaching times and so on. But, you know, I need to prepare myself. I need to spend time in God's Word uh, myself as well. So I, I can't speak strongly enough encouraging that you take time. I was just chatting with somebody the other day that, uh, that told me of how many different Bible reading plans and so on that you find, you know, on your, on your electronic device. And uh, so just go ahead and if you prefer, uh, you know, opening your Bible, the, the book, the text and reading, well, that's that's great as, as well. I'm going to be reading from uh, the New King James Version this morning, the uh, uh, chapter uh, 10, the 17, 18 verses, I'm sorry. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to that this morning, please. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with a confidence by which I intend to be bold for some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ." and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, 
but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Let's pray together, please, before we dig into this passage. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, who was called by you to serve. Thank you for his obedience to go into the world that was about him, and to do the work that you had called him to do. Father, we thank you that he, in writing his letters to these churches, writes to us as well. And here we are so many hundreds of years later, but the word of God is relevant and it's true. It's as applicable today as it was then. So, Father, thank you for your word. As we look at it today, open our understanding, we pray. Give us a, give us a receptive heart to be willing to take to heart the things that your word says. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. James Hudson Taylor was born uh, in Britain, 21st of May, 1832. He lived a very full and busy life, June 3rd, 1905. He passed away, went to be with the Lord. And he was a Protestant Christian missionary in China. He was the founder of the China Inland Mission, CIM, And it became later on, as we know today, OMF International. If any of you attended Missions Fest in uh, in Edmonton uh, not too long ago, you may have come across the OMF booth and uh, the, the ministry that is going on through them. Hudson Taylor spent 51 years in China, and the society that he began was responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries into the country. They began 125 schools and directly resulted in 18,000 conversions to Christ as well as the establishment of more than 300 stations of work with more than 500 local helpers in all 18 provinces. It was a huge ministry. It was a huge outreach into the people of China. And uh, that, that was going on in the prime of his life in the late 1800s. Taylor was known for his sensitivity to Chinese culture and his zeal for evangelism. And he adopted wearing native Chinese clothing and the little braid that the the, the very traditional Chinese uh, people wore. Uh, Taylor dressed and and, and had that kind of an appearance. He adopted um, the, the, the love of the Chinese as it was though his own life and his own love. Under his leadership... The China Inland Mission was singularly non-denominational in practice and accepted members from all Protestant groups. His situation was, do you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you interested, are you passionate about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? If so, we welcome you into CIM. That was Taylor's criteria. 
primarily because of the CIM's campaign against the opium trade. Taylor was been, had been referred to as one of the most significant Europeans to visit China in the 19th century. Historian Ruth Tucker summarized this theme of his life, and I quote, No other missionary in the 19th century since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and carried out a more systematic plan of evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. What an amazing man he was. I have learned just a tiny bit about Hudson Taylor over the years, and one of the quotes that he made somewhere in the work that he was doing has kind of stuck with me, and it's simply this. God's work, done God's way, does not lack God's provision. God's work, done God's way, does not lack God's supply or or God's provision. You see, Paul has been speaking to a group of people that he dearly loves. And when, you know, when one has the opportunity to lead someone to Christ or have had the opportunity to play a vital role in the inception of a new ministry incentive, a deep love develops for for the parties involved. There are people here in Spruce Grove Alliance Church that were here and have been here for many, many years. They've got deep roots in this church. They've got deep roots in the church, not only for the sake of the church planted here in the city of Spruce Grove, but deep roots because of the cause of Christ that it goes out not only in this community and in this generation and time, but across the world. Spruce Grove Alliance Church has been known to send missionaries all over the world, and that's who we are. That's part of our DNA. Paul was seeking to guide and advise these people into the fact, the truth, that changed lives prove validity in ministry. And I'm sure that you may be here this morning and you might say, Pastor Art, my life has been changed, not because of a whole lot of programming, but my life has been changed because I've met Jesus. My life has been changed because I have decided to make a turn. I've done a 180 degree turn away from the things of the world and into into a way that is digging in and pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul cautioned them against following the cunning skills of false teachers. Because, you know, wherever you go, it seems like there's always somebody that comes up with some new idea. You perhaps heard the news just this last week of, a, of an uprising in, a, in an African country where this person comes along and he has heard from God, he is, he's got the new message, and therefore we destroy the Bible and there was burning of Bibles under the guidance of this wacko. Paul tried to motivate them to be aware of externals but not be overcome by the external pressures that would seek to tear down or diffuse the passion of their love and their new life in Christ. He has spoken to them about the future presence of Christ, about the future reward, the love of Christ, and the message of reconciliation. Paul has been speaking passionately and carefully He moved into the area of of personal finance. He moved into the area of church finance by laying out the example of the Macedonians in chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And then the ultimate example of Christ. You see, it's, it's giving all. It's giving it full without holding back. Paul spoke to them about the purpose of giving. 
about the policies in giving and the principles in giving and the promises from God in giving. He sums up his exhortation on giving by drawing their attention to the great giver of all, our wonderful, amazing God, and his indescribable gift, it says at the end of of chapter 9. How can we describe the gift of God? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Receive the gift of God. How can you describe that? It's indescribable. But you know what? Change lives. Prove validity in ministry. And change lives. Bring credence to the gift that you have received through Christ. We're going to pick up his teaching now in chapter 10. And up till now, Paul's writings have been a team effort with Timothy. But now he moves into chapter 10, and he said, I need to talk to you from my heart. I need to talk to you from my personal experience, and I, and I, I, want, to, I want to level with you. I want to speak heart to heart with you. You see, when God does good work, and he does, and he is, The enemy Satan does not like that at all, and the enemy Satan is going to do what he can to thwart or try to thwart the work that God is doing. I've got a tough sentence to tell you, and I debated whether I should say it or not, but I'm I'm going to. You see, the reality is, is that the enemy will use whomever he can, including Christian believers to hinder the work of Christ. Did you get that? The enemy will even use Christian believers to hinder the lives of other believers. You say, well, how in the world can that be? Have you ever received a word of discouragement from another person, especially another believer? Have you ever had somebody find fault with what you're doing? And they just seem to come along and just drop a load of cloud on your picnic and walk away, and you go like, ah, why did he have to say that? Why did did she do that? Friends, today, the enemy doesn't care who he's going to use. His role is to try to destroy the work of Christ. That's what his role is. And Jesus spoke to that in John chapter 10, And verse 10, he called him the thief. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Friends, today the enemy does not want you to have life abundantly. He does not want you to have a happy, fulfilled relationship with Christ. He does not want you to have a happy, fulfilled relationship with your spouse and your family and and, and your extended family. He does not want you to have a happy, fulfilled relationship in your job. He does not want you to come here to this building and in the many, many, many different ministries. He does not want you to serve in a happy, fulfilled way. He does not want that because he's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his passion. And Jesus said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. So here's these Corinthians... Here's these people that Paul dearly loves, and if he could wrap his arms around them physically, and no doubt he did that when he came there. There's people that he met that he hadn't seen for a while, and oh, good to see you, brother, good to see you, sister. 
hugs and handshakes and welcomes and so on. Here's these people that he's loved very deeply and very intimately. And somebody has come along and sowed some seeds in there of discontent and sowed some seeds that the number one charge is cowardice. Paul writes, now a personal and most urgent matter. I write in gentle but firm spirit of Christ. I hear that I'm being painted as a cringing and wishy-washy person when I'm with you, but harsh and demanding when I'm away and I write letters. That's what I'm hearing. Please don't force me to take a hard line when I'm present with you. Don't think that I'll hesitate a single minute to stand up to those who say that I'm an unprincipled opportunist. Paul says, I'm not a coward. It's with all the love that I can possibly muster up that I speak to you, and I want you to receive my words with the same spirit of love and tenderness as I give them. Have you ever had somebody come along and, and say something to you that just kind of makes you go, ugh, the nerve. You see, sometimes somebody comes along and they're being used by God to speak into your life. They might even have a tear in their eye and a, and a quiver in their voice when they say, friend, you're off base. You're off base. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging. I'm just saying, friend, on the basis of God's word, get your act together because I love you. And when you're off base... There's, there, there's, there's nothing but sadness, really, that you're heading toward because the thief is wanting to steal and kill and destroy. Oh, friend. And then they pull back and you go, the nerve. Or do you say, thank you? Oh, thank you. You know, it was the same man who in Galatians chapter 5 laid out the list of the evidence of the indwelling person of Christ in our life. It was the same man that wrote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he said, against those there's no law. This was Paul the Apostle that wrote this. Friends, today the fruit of the Spirit is not some wishy-washy set of feeble maybes. The fruit of the Spirit is God's pouring out of his goodness into your life and my life when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. You say, well, I saw that person trust Christ as their Savior just a week or so ago, and it doesn't seem like the fruit of the Spirit is very evident in their life. Hang on a second. I held two precious children in my arms here this morning that are learning about life. They don't know everything there is to know about life, but they've got a mommy and daddy that are really investing into them. And they've got a bunch of others of us that should be and could be and will be hopefully investing into them. So the life of that new baby Christian, that we come alongside them and we start to teach them and we start to say, you know what? God is pouring into your life the fruit of his spirit. And that fruit is evident in the love and joy and peace. Now, if you come along and scold them right away, the person kind of goes, huh, I wonder who's right here. Hello? You know? The fruit of the Spirit is real in the life of the person who has trusted Christ and dedicated to seek his way and his will. And they're accusing Paul 
of being a wishy-washy wimp, a coward. Well, charge number two, they're accusing him of walking in the flesh. Paul writes, of course we walk in the flesh. You know, how else do we do things? I put my pants on one leg at a time. You know, I eat my cereal and I drink my coffee. Of course I walk in the flesh. Of course I'm a fleshly person. I didn't like shoveling snow any more than you did last Sunday. You know, I'm a fleshly person. And I hope that I'm rejoicing as much as you're rejoicing today that it's different outside. We eat and sleep. But he says... Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. That's an important truth this morning, friends. You might accuse me, he's saying to them, of walking in the flesh. But dear friends, today the warfare that I'm engaged in is not according to the flesh. Now you say, well, Pastor Art, that's really nice. But warfare was back in the book of Corinthians, wasn't it? It was back then. Don't kid yourself. The same enemy that was bothering them is bothering us today. And we've seen things evidenced not all that long ago in the life of the church where the enemy is at work and we come against him in the name of Jesus. In verse 4 of the chapter, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Listen, friends, this morning, you don't have to give in to the work of the enemy in your life. You don't have to give in. You don't have to lay down and die and say, well, I guess I just have to give in and let Satan steamroller me. No way. It's Jesus' word that he came to give us life abundantly. Let's grab onto that. Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We don't have to give in to the work that Satan is endeavoring to do. Put him at bay. Walking after the flesh, you see, could mean several things. It could mean that Paul was unregenerate. It could mean that he wasn't even saved. If their accusation was right, that's one thing that it could mean. Another thing that it could mean that his preaching and teaching was not Holy Spirit empowered, but it was just totally of the flesh, and he was a great charismatic speaker. He had all kinds of charm, and it was just him. They could accuse him of that. Walking in the flesh could mean that the man is living an ungodly and immoral lifestyle, and he's hiding it behind all all kinds of things. That's what walking in the flesh could mean. It could mean that his teaching about money and giving generously is really a ploy to fill his money bag so that as quick as it was full enough, he could skip town. That's what walking in the flesh could mean. But Paul debunks all of those charges. And he said, no, absolutely not. You're wrong on all accounts. Because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are Christ's weapons. They're not weapons of flesh and blood and persons. Charge number three. He's accused of personal weakness. Verse 10, if you're following with me. He's accused that his letters are very strong, but in person he's wishy-washy and weak. Verse 11 says, no, 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 absolutely not. 
Paul says, whether I am with you or whether I write a letter, I say the same thing with the same love and kindness, the same passion and the same urgency. Have you ever had somebody send you an anonymous letter? <laughs> oh, boy. You know what? We, uh, we sometimes have an event and we have an evaluation form and people have the privilege of filling out that evaluation form. And then usually there's a place there where you can write your name and write your phone number and your email address. And you give it back into the leader of the organization. And the leaders go through the evaluations and, 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 and see how things went for, for the event. I really love it when I can read through someone's evaluation and there at the end there's their name. Because it's like as though I was sitting there across the table at Tim Hortons or whatever and they're telling me of their evaluation of the event and I hold that in very, very high esteem and, 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 and with great honor. But it bothers me when I look through the comments that were made. Many of them were good comments. There was one or two that were not so good. And then I turn the page over. It's blank. There's no name. Well, I wonder who said that. I wonder. And you know, as Graham said this morning, and Dan, we want to hear from you. We want to figuratively sit across the table from Tim Hortons and who knows, maybe we have that in reality. I mean, I'm always open to that. To listen. To listen to what you say. So Paul says, whether I'm with you or whether I write a letter, it's the same love and kindness. I don't want to be somebody different. I don't want to be a different person here than I am at the door. I don't want to be a different person in the office than I am in the grocery store. No, I don't want that. I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I want the same love and kindness to be manifested to you wherever I happen to be. Now, verse 12 has always been an interesting and intriguing verse to me through the years. And I want to read that verse from the Amplified Bible for you this morning. Here it is. We do not have the audacity to put ourselves in the same class or compare ourselves with some who supply testimonials to commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they lack wisdom and behave like fools. My mom used to say, self-praise is no recommendation. Isn't that true? But I love watching little children. We have three girls, and they were little at one time. And it's kind of interesting to watch as they compare themselves with each other, and especially physically. I think of Aiden and Caitlin here, just in a year or two or three or five or ten. You know, he's littler than she is. And I can just see him up on his tiptoes being just as tall as his sister. Because he's comparing himself among his own. He's comparing himself to the other person. Sometimes we say, well, I'm not as bad as he is. Did you hear what she did? I'm sure not. I would never do that. You see, what's happening, friends, is we're comparing ourselves among ourselves, and by what measure do we meet? What standard do we use? Paul says if we compare ourselves among ourselves and we measure ourselves by ourselves, we're not wise. We're fools. We're behaving like fools. Then he goes on in verses 13 through 16, putting it all in proper perspective, and it lands on the summary line in verse 17. 
Let him who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Here's what the Message Bible says. If you want to claim credit, claim it for God. What you say about yourself really means nothing in God's work. It's what God says about you that makes the difference. I love that. If you're trying to inflate your own balloon, it's a bit of hot air, isn't it? But when God blesses you, and when God pronounces his well-done statement on you, that's a whole lot different. You say, well, can't I be an encourager? Can't I go along to somebody and say, thank you for, for doing a great job? I want to just throw in a little thank you right here to our youth leadership team. I was here on Friday night, and they were having a great time. There was a huge activity, you know, nearly 70 young people here in the church with, what, like 25 or 30 leader people? Is that somewhere in there? What? Technically. They were having a great time. You know, there was all kinds of stuff going on. Furniture got moved a little bit in here. <laughs> I came back Saturday morning for, for a meeting, by the way, at grandparent meeting, so grandparents, we need you to sign up back there. I was so impressed. When I came in the door and, and, and saw the foyer, they were not doing any damage. Okay, let me, let me, get, let me get this straight. The youth were not wrecking anything. They were being very respectful of the building, the furniture, and so on. But they had moved a few things around. When I came in on Saturday morning, whoa, it looked nice. Floors vacuumed, everything is beautiful. When I came in here, everything perfect, beautiful. So, good job, Pastor Josh and Beth and your team. Yeah. Yeah. You see, it's not what I say about them that makes a difference, but it's what God says about them that makes a difference. And that is so huge, friends, today. Is it wrong to come alongside somebody and encourage them? No, absolutely not. Is it wrong to come alongside somebody and, you know, put your, put your hand on Crystal's shoulder or shake her hand and say, good job, Crystal, with your team. Good job on the instruments. That's the hottest lick I've ever heard to begin our, a hymn. How great thou art. Good job, good job. You see, it's okay. But if they're getting puffed up and if they're going between themselves and saying, well, we're the only ones that matter here and we're going to compare ourselves among ourselves, they are not wise. And this is what was going on in the Corinthian church this morning, friends. They were comparing themselves with each other and Paul said, no, no, don't do that. Let's go back to the quote from Hudson Taylor for a few minutes this morning. We've got to get done here, don't we? We'll wrap this up with, uh, with his quote and just a few more thoughts. Taylor said, God's work done God's way does not lack God's supply or God's provision. Now, there's three distinct areas here that I want to just hit on for just a few moments. Number one, God has a work to be accomplished. God has a work to be accomplished. Number two, God has a specific way that he wants it done. Because this is God's work. He, wa he wants it done his way. Number three, God is resourceful enough to take care of all of the needs of his work. Okay? So God has a work that he wants done. He wants it done his way. 
and he has the resources to take care of the needs of his work. Now, it's interesting, when Jesus was about ready to leave the earth, he had been ministering for those three and a half years, and he was about ready to ascend to heaven. He stood out there with a group of people, I don't know how many were around him, but his disciples, those were people that were disciplined in their own life to learn of him and do his work. And he said, listen, friends, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, now you, you go. Now you go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he might as well have stuck in there and don't let Satan rob it from you. He may as well have stuck that in there because he had said it earlier. Oh, just a reminder, friends. Don't let Satan rob it from you because he's going to try. Now, there are variables that can be drawn from this trio of statements. One of those variables is we can try to do God's work our way. We can say, well, I'm a capable person. I'm a pastor. I can preach. I can teach. Ah, I'll just go ahead and do it my way. Listen, friends, doing God's work our way, we cannot expect God's provision and his supply. It ain't going to happen. Number two, we can try to make our work look like God's work when it really isn't. Neither can we expect God's provision on that one either. Number three, we can step out in viewing God's provision as only money. God's provision is so much more than money alone. I didn't really know my grandfather, Quist. He was uh, elderly when I was uh, just a little child. I really didn't know him. But, uh, by the way, his picture's on the wall in my office. If you want to go and have a look at him, he's my, he's my fleshly hero, really, in so many ways. But he used to say, it doesn't take money to be happy, but it helps. You see, it doesn't only take money to build a church, but it helps. And as we launch into a finance campaign, as we launch into a, a fundraising campaign to build phase one of our new project, money isn't all we need. We need people who are willing to pray. We need people who are willing to come in and, and, and get dirty and maybe shovel some dirt. We need people that are willing to come in and clean up some sawdust and some scraps and so on. We need people that are willing to bring coffee along. We need people that are willing to do 101 things because it's all part of God's provision, friends, today. God's provision is indeed many-faceted and it is above and beyond money. Make no mistake, money's not the only part. You know, God had done great things in the life of the Corinthian church and God has done great things in the life of Spruce Grove Alliance Church. You know, get a hold of some of the people that have been in this church for 20, 30 years and Listen to them as they tell a story. Those of you that are younger here, you're new in our, in, our, in, our, in our family. Go ahead and grab a hold of some of these older folks and say, tell me a story. And those of you that are older among us, seek out somebody that's younger and say, hey, let me tell you a story about Spruce Grove Alliance Church. And you know what? When we start doing that, we see God's name glorified. We see the name of Christ exalted and good things happen. Now remember, Jesus said the thief comes only to 
steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life abundantly. The thief was coming to endeavor to kill and destroy the lives of the believers in the Corinthian church. And that was not God's plan. You see, the thief came in the form of accusing Paul of being a coward. He came in the form of accusing Paul of walking in the flesh. He came in the form of accusing Paul of personal weakness. And these were people in the church, probably the leader team, that was accusing Paul of these things. Does the enemy use believers to, in, to disen, discourage and disengage other believers? He certainly does, or he tries to. Don't let it happen, friends. Stand up against him, but stand up against him in the power of the Holy Spirit, not your own flesh and blood and good looks and in mental capacity. While we're facing spiritual battles today, spiritual warfare is occurring worldwide, world government circumstances are spiritual battles, and closer to home, we fight spiritual battles for the souls of family members and loved ones. You know, we've got weapons that God has provided. There's seven pieces of armor, and if you read it over in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. These seven pieces, these seven weapons, majority of them are defense weapons, such as the belt of truth. Fill your mind with the word of God. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. The breastplate of righteousness. Allow the righteousness of God revealed in his word to influence your mind. Allow your mind to be filled with the righteousness of God through his word. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Go about and share the good news of the gospel with others because that is a defense mechanism against the enemy. Your shield of faith, your helmet of salvation, the doctrine of the word of God brings balance to your life and keeps you walking steady in the spirit. The sword of the spirit is the only one that's an offensive mechanism, an offensive piece of armor. You know what the sword of the spirit is? The word of God. The word of God. So... We are defensive with the rest of our armor. We are offensive with the sword of the Spirit. Three times Jesus used the Word of God as a defense mechanism and an offense mechanism against Satan's temptations when he repeatedly said, it is written. Friends, I can't say it any more powerfully than I possibly can say today. Get into God's Word. Read it. Love it. Prayer, supplication is mentioned in that chapter, and that's the orders from the commanding officer. Well, there's one more weapon in your arsenal, and that's what I'm going to call on your side, and it's really not in Ephesians chapter 6, but it, it kind of could be, is your pouch of seed. You say, whoa, you're mixing an army, an, you know, an army guy and a farmer together. Well, aren't they kind of the same? You know what? The seed you sow goes so, so far in furthering the kingdom of Christ. Or you might be sowing negative seed that hinders the kingdom of Christ. Pastor Scott preached last Sunday about the law of sowing and reaping from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So what are you and I sowing? Let's check what kind of seed we are spreading. 
Galatians 6, 8 says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And Paul also said in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, Let us therefore pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one <coughs> excuse me, may edify another. So friends, this morning, let's celebrate the things that God is doing in our midst. Let's celebrate the things that God has done over the years in, in the establishment of the body of Christ here in Spruce Grove. Let's celebrate those things. Let us sow the seed of joy and blessing. As you meet with someone in the, the foyer afterwards or you go for lunch or whatever, sow the seed of joy and blessing to one another, all right? Sow the seed of God's goodness. Don't just say, well, my goodness, we've got such a great team of men and women here. You know, they're working diligently and so on. Sow the seed of God's goodness because if it wasn't for God's goodness in the lives of these people, they wouldn't be able to function. Sow the seed of God's provision because God's work done his way does not lack his provision. I want to close this morning with one more quote from Hudson Taylor. Let us give up our work, our thoughts, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into his hand. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about or to make trouble about. Pray with me, would you please? Father God, this morning, we're such a blessed people. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the bodies you've blessed us with, the minds you've blessed us with, the creativity you've blessed us with. Thank you for the ambition that you've blessed us with. And then as we've trusted you as our Savior, we have love and joy and peace and patience and all of those other things of the fruit of your Spirit that you have and do bless us with. This morning as we go from this place, Father, I just pray that we would celebrate you with one another in the foyer and as we move out. Through the week, we would seek opportunities to come together with another person and say, ain't God good? Thank you, God, this morning that we can celebrate you. It's not about us. It's not about building a kingdom with a person's name attached. It's about building a kingdom with the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ, the name of the Holy Spirit, in plain view. God, we thank you. I pray for those today that may be struggling. Lord, I pray that you would do a beautiful work in the hearts and lives of each one. Help us to see you for who we who you really are, and help us to see us for who we are. We're so often broken people, but we come before a God who heals, a God who restores, a God who encourages and builds and strengthens. God, we want to do your work. We want to do it your way, and we want to recognize your provision. We ask that we would do that in Jesus' name.